Okay. I always love those times because there's those that are deeply engaged in conversation and there are those who are looking at me going, David, bail us out. <laughs> so let me uh, now, thanks for leading us this morning. How's the expectation levels after one week of Advent? How's the expectation levels? Are they heightened? Are they no different than they were last week? Are they slightly reduced? As we said last uh, Sunday, Advent is a season of expectation. It is that time of year. It's this time of year whenever amongst everything else, and as Nell said earlier, there is so much else, isn't there? But alongside all the other stuff, we as Christians get ready. We prepare to mark and celebrate the first coming of the long-expected Jesus into our world and to us and for us. The dictionary defines expectation as a strong belief that something will happen or will be the case in the future. And for years and years before the first Christmas, many people had this growing expectation that something would happen, that someone would come, and then they did, or he did. Those expectations, those great expectations were fulfilled in Jesus and by Jesus. And every year in the run-up to the 25th of December during Advent, we get to, or we are invited to walk through those expectations again and to gear up to celebrate how they were met on that first Christmas. And that's what we're doing on Sunday mornings here at Windsor during December. And so last week, we went back 700 years pre-first Christmas to Isaiah 7, 14, and to that immense expectation that a virgin would conceive and would bear a son. And then what we did was we fast-forwarded to Luke chapter 1 and to the fulfillment of this great expectation. And there we discovered the identity of the virgin. We gained insight into her life and her character, and hopefully we learned something from her last Sunday. Plus, we were then confronted and reminded of the name and the nature of the long-expected one that she would bring into this world, Jesus, Savior. He'll be great. He's the Son of the Most High. He's King forever. Of His kingdom, there'll be no end. Well, today, we're returning to Isaiah 7, 14, only this time to the last six words. Regarding the child's name, his additional name, his rather unique name, which Joseph needed to be aware of for his son, a name which uncovered... Do you want me to take a, I'll stop, I'll stop, take it out of my pocket and hopefully, I'm, you okay? Sorry about that. Better now. Is that all right? Can you hear now? Great. So today we're going back to the, that Isaiah 7, 14, great expectation, but to the last six words regarding the child's unique name, a name which reveals or uncovers what, what C.S. Lewis described as the 
greatest or the grand miracle of Christmas. You see, the virgin or the virgin birth or the virginal conception of Jesus, that was a miracle, as we said last week. But, but the far greater, the greatest miracle of Christmas, the first Christmas, is what that name, that unique name at the end of Isaiah 7:14 means. And they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The baby in Mary's womb, the son that she will bear is God now here. It's God with skin on. It's God in the flesh. It's God as one of us. It's God as a human being. It's God in human form, sometimes called the incarnation, which basically means to take flesh. It is God physically, tangibly present. And that is not only a great expectation which actually happened, that is the mind-blowing reality of what this time of year is ultimately all about. God with us. It's so hard to actually take in. J.I., the late J.I. Packer said this, the more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is this truth of the incarnation. We don't just celebrate the fact that Jesus was born at Christmas. That, that's not what we simply celebrate. We celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. That's who this Jesus is. That's who this child is, and it changed and changes everything. And so what I want to do this morning is, rather than fast forward to Luke 1, we're going to fast forward to, Luke, to Matthew 1, where, as I've mentioned, this special name is repeated to Mary's partner, Joseph, the guy who would become, it would seem, the primely earthly role model in the life of Jesus. And after we've kind of considered his involvement in the fulfillment of that great expectation, we're going to focus further on that unique name. So if you're able and willing, I invite you to stand for the uh, public reading of God's Word. So this is Matthew 1, starting after the genealogy of Jesus, starting at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And Joseph gave him the name Jesus. Have a seat. As a, as a human being, Joseph was quite exceptional. His behavior here and, and how he reacted to and dealt with these circumstances, this, this, let's be honest, weird situation, the way he reacted and dealt with it is staggering. 
an outstanding, and let me explain why I say that. For a start, whenever he discovers that his wife-to-be is pregnant, and he discovers that it's not his kid that he's carrying, there's no record of any anger or accusation. Instead, there is an immediate desire to do two things. An immediate desire to do the right thing, and an immediate desire to do the compassionate thing. In a situation like this, where it's pretty obvious your wife-to-be has been unfaithful, the law, which is a dedicated Jew, Joseph was committed to, that's what verse 19 says, but the law stated that you had to separate and divorce, and your offending partner had to be called out and had to face the music. And Joseph was prepared to do the right thing, it says but he also wanted to protect Mary. He wanted to protect her from public ridicule and shame. And so in his head, in his his thinking, because it says he had a mind to do this, he decided he was going to divorce her on the QT. And why? Because he wanted to save her from excessive humiliation and disgrace. Joseph's righteous compassion in the face of what he thought was a blatant sin against him was incredible. Remember, Joseph hadn't had the dream yet where he discovered the reality of what had happened to Mary and how she had got pregnant. And so, based on what he and everybody else must have thought, he decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do the right thing by the law, but I'm going to do the right thing laced with compassion. And that is exceptional. It's rare. It's almost God-like. And how often do I seek to do the right thing, but I forget compassion? Or how often do I want to show compassion, but I'm not prepared to do the right thing? It's a real challenge. Joseph showed righteousness and compassion. And that's why I say he's exceptional. But after he thinks it through, and as he's thinking it through, as it says in the text here, all of a sudden, an angel appears to him in a dream, verse 20, and he confronts this guy with what actually happened. But again, his reaction to this, or his lack of reaction, is exceptional. In a dream, the angel says to him, Joseph, don't be afraid. I want you to take Mary as your wife because, and here's that, what is conceived in her, it's not as a result of her being unfaithful to you. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She hasn't had an affair. So separation and divorce is off the table. But the reason for her being pregnant is completely mad. But here, unlike Mary last week, Joseph doesn't question this. Instead, he just appears, according to Matthew, to accept it. More than that, once the angel finishes talking, having revealed who this baby is and what this baby's going to do and how this baby was a fulfillment of that great expectation of Isaiah 7.14, what does Joseph do? What's his reaction to this mad news? total and unwavering obedience and surrender. 
we just read, he takes Mary home to be his wife. He eventually consummates their marriage once Mary has given birth to this child. And then he does what he's been told to do. He gives this newborn the name Jesus. We don't read a lot more about Joseph after this initial introduction. He does feature a few more times in the Gospels, but based on how he handled this crisis, we can honestly say that he was an exceptional human being, righteous, compassionate, open to God's word in his life, no matter how extraordinary that was, and totally obedient. And as I've reflected on Joseph this week, I thought, what about me? What about me? Does that describe me? Righteous, compassionate, open to God's word, whatever he's asking me to do, and 100% obedient and surrendered to it. Joseph was incredible, and I, I believe we can and should learn from him, but he's, but he's not the primary focus in this story any more than Mary was. The principal focus clearly and obviously is their child, the one that they have been entrusted to bring into this world, the one who now sits at the center of Christmas, the one who sits at the center of everything, the one who has fulfilled all those great expectations and the, the expectations, and the one who now dominates the pages of Scripture, the pages of time, and all eternity. Jesus. Emmanuel. And it's the meaning of these two names that Joseph is given and is being made aware of, which reveals why this Christmas child is the truly exceptional one, why he is the focus of this time of year, every time of year, why he's worthy of every song we'll ever sing, every carol we'll ever sing, why he's worthy of every breath we'll ever breathe. And therefore, I want to just take a closer look again at these two names, and I know they're familiar. I know they're so familiar to us, but please, let's allow each to refresh our approach to Christmas, to reset our worship and wonder, to restore our understanding of why this Advent season is so important. And so that first name, look at verse 21 again. The angel informs Joseph, Joseph, Mary will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because he's going to save his people from their sins. The one who is embedded in your wife-to-be is the Savior of the world. His name, it means God saves. This baby that has been given to these first-time parents is going to save his people from their greatest problem, the problem of sin. He's going to rescue, he's going to liberate people from everything that has wrecked and wrecks their lives and so much else. This, this thing, this disease, this reality, whatever you want to call it, which infects every and each human being and causes so much pain and destruction and dysfunction and problems and even death itself, it's not going to win. This problem that caused and causes separation between us and our Creator God is not going to have its way. It's not going to dictate and determine everyone's life here and now and for all eternity. It's not. Why? because he will save his people from their sins. Salvation, redemption, deliverance, that's what's coming. And that's what has come. Now, how is this child going to do that? What exactly is involved in this rescue mission that he's coming to accomplish, he was born to accomplish? Well, that's not disclosed to either of these would-be parents. 
But what was communicated, what was confirmed is, you see this child, he will do it. Call him Jesus, because he will save his people, deliver his people, redeem his people. Fifteen minutes ago, we did something that reminds us of what Jesus did and how he accomplished our salvation. Fifteen minutes ago, we had a piece of bread, we took a sip of wine, and we proclaimed his death for our sins. Fifteen minutes ago, we made this connection between cradle and cross, between his birth and his death. Fifteen minutes ago, we celebrated the fact that Jesus has saved us. And so, as we revisit and relive the story of the first Christmas, as we journey through this season of Advent, Advent, preparing to celebrate His arrival, the critical aspect in this, no matter how distracted you get, how over-busy you get, overwhelmed you get, the overriding focus and feature is that Jesus are your, my Savior is born. And everything is different. Everything changes as a result. But there is more. There is this other name. There is, to echo Isaiah 7 and now repeated to Joseph by an angel, there is this astonishing revelation that they, now not just you, Joseph, Notice, they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And as I mentioned earlier, C.S. Lewis describes this as the greatest miracle of Christmas. Or as someone else has written, if you could condense all the truths of Christmas into only three words, these would be the words. God with us. Christmas is and always should be a celebration and a reminder of the truth and the reality that 2,000 plus years ago, Almighty Creator God, the one of the entire universe, the one in whom we live and breathe and have our being, the one who is from everlasting to everlasting, the one who not only knows the number of stars in the heaven, but actually calls every one of them by name. The one who was and is and is to come, as we've been thinking about as we've been going through Revelation. The one who one day will call time and will establish a new heaven and a new earth. That one entered our world. That one became one of us in order to be with us. Now, God had been with different people at different times throughout history and the Old Testament story. So, for example, as Joshua takes over leadership of the liberated people of God from Moses, God says this to him, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Or as King David's early life is recorded by the writer of 1 Samuel, he says this, and David behaved himself wisely in all his ways. You might want to question that. And the Lord was with him. And there were others for whom this was said and for whom this was true. But now, now it's different. What was predicted by Isaiah and what has happened in the birth of the Christmas child, the birth of Jesus, as I say, changed and changes everything because now God is with us. All of us. 
Every single one of us. He's not remote. He's not aloof. He's not distant. He's not disconnected. But in Jesus, He's personally with us. As we'll no doubt sing at some point this Christmas, pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Jesus is God. He is Emmanuel. God with us. Fully God. Fully man. It's a miracle. It's a paradox. It seems like a contradiction, but it's not. I've, I've read this before, but as someone reflected on the paradox of the incarnation, they penned these words. The Word became flesh. God became human. The invisible became visible. The untouchable became touchable. Eternal life experienced temporal death. The transcendent one descended and drew nigh. The unlimited became limited. The infinite became finite. The unbreakable became fragile. Spirit became matter. Eternity entered time. The independent became dependent. The almighty became weak. The loved became the hated. The exalted was humbled. Glory was subjected to shame. Fame turned to obscurity. From inexpressible joy to tears of unimaginable grief. From a throne to a cross. From ruler to being ruled. From power to weakness. Christmas in three words. God with us. Why? Why? Well, as we've already said, it's to save us. That's why. But it's more than that. It's to make himself known. To make himself knowable. In John 1, which many of us are rereading together this Advent in that little devotional book, One True Light, that I know lots of you are using. But in John 1, verse 18, which we don't get to until the 22nd of December, but we read this. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. The one born at Christmas makes God known and knowable. During his life, Jesus told his disciples, listen, anyone who's seen me, seen Father God. The writer of Hebrews makes the exact same point. The Son radiates the God's own glory, and here's the bit, expresses the very character of God. The Apostle Paul declares, for in Christ, in Jesus, all the fullness of the dead he lives in human form. The invisible becomes visible. The untouchable, touchable. Jesus, Emmanuel, makes God known and knowable. But there's another reason why God with us happened and why it should be wildly celebrated. And that's because it means he identifies with us and he understands us. God didn't remain in the kind of safety and security of heaven far away from the darkness and evil and suffering of this world. God didn't stay in some kind of eternal suburb separated from all the mess and misery of human life created by sin. No. The light of the world stepped down into darkness. God entered our world as a human being in order to share, in order to experience what we experience. The temptations, the hassles, the pain, emotional pain, physical pain, the tiredness we feel, the disappointment, the rejection, the loneliness, 
the fear, the bereavement, the tears, the pressures, the demands, the unrealistic expectations others have of us. He experienced it all. In Jesus, God became one of us, and therefore there is this identification. There is this understanding of what it's like to be human. And so the writer of Hebrews so powerfully reminds us, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way. And then he goes on to say, for we don't have a high priest who's unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses. But we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are. Because of Emmanuel, because God became flesh, because of the first Christmas, we can be sure that God identifies with and understands us. God gets you. He gets how you feel today. He gets how you feel right now, what you're thinking. He gets that, even if it's something totally different from what I'm talking about. He gets what you're going through, what you're dealing with. He gets the frustrations and the time constraints you're under. He gets the busyness and the betrayal. He gets the death threats. He gets the difficult questions. He gets the ingratitude that you experienced. He experienced it all. And although there is more than an element of mystery involved here, this is a key part of what it means to say, Emmanuel, God with us. The greatest miracle of Christmas. But let me finish with one further aspect of this amazing truth. And the guys, the band can come back. Because as Matthew winds up his gospel, in the very last line, of what is now the very last chapter in his gospel. What do we discover? What does Matthew tell us are the final words of this Jesus? And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew chapter 1, God with us. Matthew chapter 28, God's still with us. Top and tail. Opening words, closing words. And so the question is, do you believe this? Do you know this? Do you need the fact of this grand miracle to be refreshed in your memory? to be restored in your awareness, to be reawakened in your appreciation of this season. I pray that in light of this great expectation that they will call his name Emmanuel, I pray that you will leave here this morning celebrating the fact that God is with you. Plus, we might also thank God for Joseph's part in this story, which is our story, and be open to learn from his example, to do the right thing, to do the compassionate thing, to be open to what God asks us to do, no matter how hard it is.
and they willingly obey. We're going to sing a kind of Christmas version of your name. All right? Now.